The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. Hello everyone, I'm Chantal Wicks and this is Guts and Glory. So today we are joined with Dr. Sarah Ahola Kohut. She is here as she is a psychologist at Sick Kids Hospital, mm-hmm. working in the area with children who have IBD specifically. And you've been mm-hmm. doing this for six years. Yeah. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you're doing. Absolutely. So I always, whenever I talk to people, I, I often say that I have a unicorn job because I get this beautiful experience of having half of my time spent with patients. And so I get to do all the delicious work with kids and teens and their families, but then also half of the time I get to spend in research. Research. And the reason why I call that a unicorn job is because it's just a rarity to be able to have that type of flexibility because oftentimes- Do you feel your time is split 50-50? I try. Oh, okay. (laughs) I try. I do. And you know what? I I think I do a pretty good job at it. Like I I do, right? And, And the reason why for me it's so important is because- all of my research is really based off of what the kids complain about. And they'll say, okay, this is bugging me. This is bugging me. I, I don't have access to this. And this is what I really want. Or these are the complaints I have. And I can actually just use that to guide the direction of my research. Or like your muse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Right. That's amazing. So you have an undergrad in developmental psychology and health studies. Yeah. Um, and you've done graduate work in pediatric pediatric pain. Yes. Which... I, I cannot even imagine. Uh, you know, a lot it of people just, say that. Actually, truthfully, a lot of people say that about um, sick kids in general. The minute you hear you work with children right. who have pain or who have IBD, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, that must be so difficult. And I'm like, actually, no, it's energizing. Right. Because kids are wildly resilient and just brilliant. And they have this way of teaching me all kinds of different things and stuff that freaks adults out. They seem to be able to sort of weather the storms in ways, right? right? That I definitely just, like children more than I like adults, but I, I, I love little people too. I am a teacher, so I feel like my bias, there's I'm sure there's people listening who are like, what? Like, you know, a room filled of children, especially yeah. if they have issues. That's a whole nother but no. Well, no, when people hear that I do a lot of work with teenagers, they're like, what on earth? And I'm like, yeah, no, it's fantastic. <laughs> So you actually have no personal connection in terms of family connection with IBD, but you had said something to me before we started the episode and I, you know, it resonated with me. Mm-hmm. You had said that you feel that IBD has chosen you. Yeah. And it's chosen us too, guys, yeah. hasn't it? But Welcome to the club. You probably didn't want to be a part of, but right. welcome. We're great. Right. Yes. Here we are. Yes. Yeah. Honorary member. Um, yeah. No, I think uh, going through right from the get-go, I always knew that I wanted to work with individuals who had some type of a chronic disease or chronic illness. That was always sort of a passion of mine as opposed to sort of more primary mental health where people are coming and their primary concern would be depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, So that I knew. And then I did all my graduate work in pediatric pain. Um, But I think what ended up happening through being at SickKids and kind of working at different clinics there was just something about IBD that is different, mm-hmm. and I'm now wildly biased, but I do think is special, <laughs> right. right, and unique. And I, and I think because even though I'm dedicated entirely to kids who have Crohn's or colitis, I, I just never know what to expect. Absolutely. Every day is so different. Yeah, I would assume, like, you know, 
as a patient myself, as an IBD warrior patient myself, although as an adult, anxiety is something I've experienced. Depression mm-hmm. is something, catastrophizing is something that I've experienced. And we had an episode with Dr. Dean Tripp. He's fantastic. Uh, he is. He's really lovely. He's a breath of fresh air as He's well. just a good human. He is. He's a good, he's a good human. That's a great way to describe him. And he talked about the adult side of things, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, the series of steps and grieving even that yes. you go through as somebody diagnosed with a chronic illness. Yeah. And and then I was diagnosed when I was 20. So in some ways, I think maybe that's a blessing I was diagnosed when I was older. And then I wonder, is it a curse that I was diagnosed when I was older because I had more information? But then whenever I meet a child or a teenager, and I have students who have IBD, mm-hmm. you know, my heart breaks for them. Yeah. But I'm also like, it's okay. Like, Welcome. Here's your badge. Yes. Like, you're like, look at me. I'm a success. Yes, like, you could do it. Upset. And I do the same thing with the parents. Like, do you work with the parents as well? Do you? Yeah, I do. I absolutely work with the parents. Or caregivers, and I should abso- say. Yeah, caregivers for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think um, through my clinical work, absolutely kind of one-to-one and families, I, I often work is with parents, especially um, when we're talking about some of the kids nowadays are getting diagnosed quite young. I think it was uh, Crohn's and Clays Canada had said, um, the rate of children under five has like doubled since 1998 in yeah. their diagnosis. Under yeah. five. Like- I, yeah, it's wild, right? I, and I, and that's where if a child is, say, three, realistically, a lot of the work ends up being, for, well, from my perspective, I work a lot more with the parents. And then of we'll course. have maybe child life do kind of the heavy lifting right. on the other end of things. But also with kids that young, you just want to let them be kids too. Because mm-hmm. kids tend to grieve and process things in chunks. Yeah. So allow them to do that. Us. Yeah. Right. They they can kind of be really upset about something for these little chunks of time and then be really joyful in the next moment. And it it's hard for us to imagine why that happens. Yeah. But I think it's because kids are just much more present focused, like as at baseline. And I, I, I'm not a parent, but I can't imagine what it must feel like to be a parent of a child who has an illness and not being able to make them better. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. And that's, you you have two children, right? You know what? I'm a mom. Neither of my kids um, have IBD, but I think what it is with parenting in general, it's this urge to just fix things. And I think that is like, make it better. Just make it better. Just fix things. That's not, okay. That's parents. That's also the healthcare teams. And I actually think I'm going to, I'm going to take this there, but like larger (laughs) society, right? Like society does not tolerate negative experiences or emotions. No, we don't have a very good yin and yang. We don't have a balance. We want positive, 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 fix, yeah. fix, fix, healthy, 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 so, optimal, like, optimal, optimal, optimal. Silver like, lining, silver lining, silver yeah. lining. And I think, and I will say this, the worst things that you can ever say often in these situations is at least. Anything that comes after at least is never going to be a good thing. Um, because Don't even get me started <laughs> on that topic of at least. I can't, right? Can you like, think of any time someone said to you, like, at least... It's like the same thing when somebody tells you like, you know, well, don't stress out. Like, pardon? Did you just tell me not to stress? Because now I'm going to stress, you know? Like, yeah. See, here's the thing, though. My philosophy is like, at the end of the day, I don't think you have very much control over your thoughts in any given moment. Right. Often with kids, I'll be like, don't think about a pink elephant. What are they going to think about all day? Pink (laughs) elephants. And And then I tell them, you know, I also don't think you have a heck of a lot of control over how you feel. In any given moment, because if that were true, you'd come into my office, I'd be like, be happy. And then we'd be like, okay, my job is done. Goodbye. Oh, you go. Yeah. Or conversely, I don't think in the history of anybody being angry, having someone come up to you and say, 
just calm down. The calming down? I, don't, I think if anything, that's... Cal- I feel like it's an absolute catalyst for me to explode. Exactly. Like, <laughs> right? Um, but the beautiful thing is, and people can't see this here, but like, Chantelle, I could look at you and I could say, stand up. Right. And they can't see it, but you're still sitting. Right. So you do have choice over what you do. Oh, that's really good. Ooh, that's so good. I didn't get up, actually. Yeah. I'm sitting here. Yeah. But I do have choice. You do have choice. Right. Uh, right. And I think even in situations where you really feel like you're losing some of that control, and I think IBD is a perfect example of that. Yeah. I've often said that um, my own personal struggle, my mental struggle with IBD has been that I feel as if my body has turned on my mind. Mm-hmm. My body is preventing me or is enabling me at a certain period of time. You know, my brain is so like, do this, go here. And sometimes my body says, no, I'm sorry. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's a it's a betrayal. Mm-hmm. I feel, it, not anymore, of course. Now I just own it. Like, here I am as a warrior myself. But it did, it ha- for a very long time, it felt like a betrayal of one part of my body over yeah. another. Yeah. And I still have this weird, it's very weird and twisted, and I've shared it many times on our podcast, but... When I go for colonoscopies, I never want to be sedated completely because Mm -hmm. I need to see myself on the screen. I need to see where the disease is. I need to see what is healthy. I need to see a difference from my last colonoscopy. I need to see it with my own eyes. Absolutely. Very ridiculous. No, it's not at all. Like, so with kids, I'll also, I'll ask them, I'm like, are you a watcher? Yeah. So when it comes to blood work, like, are you a watcher Totally, I'm a watcher. Right? Is that weird? That's weird. No. No, not weird. It's not weird at all. Yes, do it. Because you want to know what's going on and you don't want to be surprised. I have this, like, constant of, like, I need to know. I need to have – because I feel like I had – I feel like my body – I lost control of my body when Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with IBD. Yeah. And even with medications and side effects, like you have no control over these things. You but know? at the end of the day, call it like your body did let you down. It did. Yeah. Totally. But you know what? It mm-hmm. also doesn't mean that your body isn't also awesome at the same time. Yeah, it, definitely. I've accepted now that it's totally awesome. Like there's Sometimes awesome things. Sucks, yeah. <laughs> but it's also totally awesome. <laughs> but it can, it can <laughs> suck and be awesome at the same yeah. time. Right? And like it still functions. Even with all this nonsense. Right? Yeah. So that makes it pretty awesome. And, and, yeah. I, and I think sometimes it's about sitting with this idea that there can be um, like multiple truths in any given scenario. Mm-hmm. So if something's bad, that doesn't mean that there's nothing good about going it. on at the same time. Right. right. They can coexist. They can coexist. And right. it's really hard to get to that place. And this isn't about silver lining and saying that like, oh, at least it's it's far from that. No. It's about like. Recognizing it, I feel. Acknowledging that mm-hmm. that is an, a possibility. So, um, our brains, you had said are, you know, they're, they're wired to survive and socialize. Yes. I love this. Um, tell us about how this relates to negative feelings, how it relates to youth and kids. Absolutely. So I, this is something that I, I often tell kids that I work with. I'll be like, yeah, so brains are wired to survive. Happiness is not a default. Happiness is something you have to work at. So if you're not happy and this is like human beings, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not weird. Right. Right. And this is especially the case with IBD. You have a chronic disease. Like to assume that every day is just automatically going to be happy without working at it is just not fair. No, and it's lying to yourself. It's, really? Yeah. It yeah. is. And and when I, I like to talk to kids and talk to them from the perspective of perhaps why cert- they feel certain ways, right? So when I say that the brain is wired to socialize, it's because if we were to go back hundreds of years, if you were socially rejected from the group, you would go into the forest and eventually die. 
Absolutely. By yourself. You'd be, you'd be cast away. Yes. <laughs> that was right? the punishment for a lot of people. Right? You are no longer allowed to be in our space. Like, yes. And and really, for back then, and I, and I this sounds dramatic, but back then it would be death, right? Yes. So I think our brains are wired in a way to feel social threat and to really hold on to it. Right. And IBD, I'm, this is no surprise stigma. to you. Yeah. People don't want to talk about poop. No. Right. No. And and often the stigma associated with IBD is that it's just poop. Yeah. And it's not the extra intestinal manifestations that come with the disease. It's yeah. not mental health issues that can come with having IBD or just yeah. living with a chronic illness or pain. Yeah. It's not the joint issues. It's not the malnutrition. It's yeah. not, you know, like people don't see that either. What they do, if people do know about Crohn's and ulcerative colitis who are on the outside looking yeah. in, it is very often that it's poop. Yeah. And we've, we've mentioned before, you know, um, I think it was Dr. Silverberg yeah. who said it on his episode, you know, it's not a dinner conversation. No. You'll you'll sit down and have a, a conversation about somebody's triple bypass at dinner, no problem. Because yes. you're not going to have a conversation no. about your most recent colonoscopy yeah. or the symptoms you're experiencing related to IBD. Yeah. And even as adults, we should know better. Like we can have, and I can't maybe. even imagine with, maybe kids are better at it actually, poop and stuff. Maybe they actually, no? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, maybe some, I, I don't know. I've seen it go both ways. Yeah. But I, I also think the hard thing with IBD is that in some ways, there's the option of kind of pretending that everything's okay. Everything's okay. Because it's an invisible Be- illness. Exactly. You right. can't, you can kind of get away with it in that sense. Yeah. So I think it kind of puts you at a higher risk for social isolation. Right. Because you're is, carrying around this heavy. Absolutely. I can't even, like I've, I have children who I teach with IBD and I've had some students who, as grade seven and eight, so they're 12, 13, 14, who have had accidents, mm-hmm. you know, and... As an adult, I can't imagine how embarrassing that would be, let alone as a child at school. And it's not like they can just get it, like leave the classroom, get in their car and drive home. Like this is, we have to go to the office. We have to call a parent. We have to sit and wait till the parent can come. Yeah. You know, there is a large, long string of events that needs to happen before that person, that child is in a place of comfort. Yeah. And 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 that's just it, right? And I I think I'm not going to tell someone who has like really active UC that that's not an op, that's not something that could happen. Right. I'm much I more know. of a like, do you have a go bag? I've had accidents you, as a teacher, yeah. 100%. You know? And yeah. that's where it's working around, okay, um, do you have a little packet of like Huggies wipes not to, I, I will actually use the word Huggies because they're the thicker ones. So I think they do a better job. <laughs> Just, they're more durable. <laughs> yeah. And, and really like they're, they, yeah. they are better. Um, <laughs> But I do not work for them in any yeah, way. Yeah, we're not plugging huggies at all. Yeah. We're just saying get a thick wipe. A thick wipe. Yeah, yes, a thick wipe. Um, and also like an extra pair of underwear and some kind of tights or lightweight pant that you can roll up really tight. Because then right. you can have just a little, little packet that can be at the bottom of your bag. Keep it in your locker or something along those lines. So at least you don't have to yeah. be And as an adult, like – ladies, put this in your purse. Men who carry purses or satchels or side bags, keep it there. Mm-hmm. If not, get a fanny pack. Do something. Fanny packs are in. Yeah, they're a new thing. Everything. Even the one-piece adult snowsuits, I've noticed, are in, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, So what has been your experience and your approach specifically working with kids and teens? Because I know you, you know, from having seen you speak at the Gutsy Learning Series Mm -hmm. in Southern Crohn's and Clays Canada, which is how I met you in the first place, mindfulness and acceptance are big approaches that you take, which was such a breath of fresh air for me to hear. And I know mindfulness and meditation and all of these things have become hot topics lately. 
They're you know? super sexy right now. Yeah, like, super right? hot. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just it. And I think for me, a big reason why I started working in this area and looking at mindfulness is just that if, if a child comes to me who is, has really like active pancreatitis and they right. say, I'm afraid I'm going to have a colectomy or I'm afraid I'm going to have a, um, an accident at school, like I'm going to be like, yes. That's possible. I'm not going to try to convince you that right. you're being anxious for no reason. I'm not going to try to convince you that that might not happen. Like, I'm going to say, like, well, we can find out information about all of these. Yeah, we can find yeah. out about it. But ultimately, there is a possibility that you could do everything right and it could still happen. And I feel like if you if you took a different approach, it's, you're almost it's also detrimental to their health because then if it did happen, they would have no tools, no tool belt to help <sighs> them approach such a topic. And, or an and issue. I yeah, and I and I just think it would for me personally, and and it's not that there's other approaches that can work really well, mm-hmm. but I think from my perspective as a therapist, it's really important to speak from a place of authenticity. Right. And this is the way that I would approach. Being honest. Types, being honest and working with it. And it's not that other approaches are dishonest. I just think they they tackle it from a different angle. I also like, I feel like you're just you're admitting the truths. Yeah. And the I, truth is this could happen. Yeah. What can we do yeah. to help equip you if this were to happen? Yeah. In your mind. Yeah. And, and I think other approaches too might be like, well, what else could happen? And, and and kind of working with other possibilities, which is great. Yeah. Versus I think I like to focus more on, okay. Where are we at right now? Right. Let's not project too far in the future. Right. And let's work on, okay, so these thoughts are going to jump into your head. Mm-hmm. So how do you I, deal I, with them? How to deal with them because I think some of those catastrophic thoughts, it's it's unrealistic not to do that at times, right? But it's how do you be in a space where you might be in pain and you might be thinking to yourself like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? But instead of getting caught up into it and really embodying all that experience, like what else can you do? Can you somehow sit there and be like, okay, this is what I've got going on in my world right now. Yeah. And acknowledging, you know what? This is awful. Right. Like actually acknowledging like this is hard. But then also reminding yourself, I'm not the only one that feels this way. I can tell I'm not alone. And and really, like, I can say sick kids alone has 1,400, we follow 1,400 families, and that's just sick kids. Think about beyond that to kind of Ontario and all the young people who are being served by gastroenterologists in the community. Think about, like, Canada as a whole and how many folks in Canada. What is it, 270,000 now Canadians diagnosed with this disease? Absolutely. I don't know what the exact breakdown is between children's youth and adults, but it's still 270,000 people. It's a lot. And really at the end of the day, that's just Canada. Forget like think about the whole world, right? So I think acknowledging that, yeah, it is hard and it's hard work and, and even being resilient is hard, but you're, you're not doing it alone and other people feel the way you do. I think that mindfulness approach of like acknowledging your thoughts and accepting your thoughts as opposed to trying to suppress them. Mm -hmm can be a scary road to go down without the help of someone like yourself. Oh gosh, realistically. Yeah. yeah. And and I do want to clarify that with acceptance, it's not that you have to actually like it. It's not complacency. It's Yeah, you don't have to accept that this thought is now your best friend. Like, no, it's just <laughs> thoughts are not facts, right? Like first yeah. of all. But I also think I think of it this way. Um I love that. Thoughts are not facts. They are not. I love They're, it. There's all kinds of random things that pop into people's heads that are just completely wrong. The, the thing is, is that our brains are wired to survive. So if it's a scary thought, it's going to be 
like bolded, flashing lights, Absolutely. really attractive for you to think about. And control everything you're doing that moment. Exactly. So how do you acknowledge those thoughts in the same way that you would acknowledge that random thought about a pink elephant? Right. Oh, the pink elephant again. Yes. Right. See, I mean, I yeah. just, it's, it's nice. You got it. You got to try to, I like to play with it and be a little bit ridiculous because when you can approach it with sort of curiosity, it kind of takes a bit of that edge off. Like, yeah, I think with kids, I think actually, I know with adults too, that it's really hard to be kind to ourselves. I feel like we're, I 100% agree with that. We are very awful to ourselves. We're terrible to ourselves. Whether you are ill or not. Yeah. We are, we are awful to ourselves. I've, I've heard more. I've And I, I've said this to my students and I should honestly like live by what I say, but I, I say to them, like when people are having down thoughts or even just before they write a science test, I always, mm -hmm. I put on, I call it thinking music. Mm -hmm. It's just a YouTube playlist that's of like Beautiful. nice, calming music. Yeah. The kids think it's thinking music, whatever works. Sure. <laughs> like, Run with know? it. And we take deep, big, deep breaths. And I tell them like, if you've studied and prepared for this, I'm not tricking you on this test. Yeah. You know, you are ready for this, you know? And I say to them, like what you're saying to yourself right now in your head, would you say that to your best friend? And they always say, no, I would never say that to my best. But like, then don't say it to you. Now here I am in my own self thinking of all the negative thoughts I'm saying about myself when I get up in the morning. Oh my goodness, mm. my jeans are getting tight. What is happening? Like, yeah. You know? But here's the thing. Imagine what your life would be like if you didn't have that voice if in we that were tone. much kinder to ourselves. Yeah. I mean, imagine. But I also think that because kindness is hard, like in, if it is hard, like that's okay. Yeah. Try for curiosity. Why am I thinking like this? Or or not even why, but just be like, oh, like, what's that? Like, what's up with this thought? Or like, what's going on? Like, how is it making me feel? Like, what's going on in my body when like I have this thought? physical symptoms. Uh, it, it, yeah, and just connecting to like what, yeah. oh, when I, this awareness of this thought, like, oh, when I have thoughts like this, like my chest gets a bit tighter or I start to get a little bit more uncomfortable or, hey, like when I have this. And just being able to give yourself a little bit of space. Yeah. So that you're you're not always just like, oh, I have this one bad thought and I'm like off to Repeated. the races. I feel like if when you have a bad thought and then you are you become or thoughts are if, just thoughts. Yeah. Even you even to say they're bad or good. Yeah. If you have a thoughts thought are just thoughts. and then you become curious about this thought, it almost takes away the focus of continuously thinking about this thought. It's like a distraction, really. Yeah, but like it's now but you it, worry about how to well, what do I and by the time you get through your, all of your curiosity questions, maybe that thought has drifted away. Yeah, and and thoughts come and go, and then you'll jump on another train, and then there'll be another purple elephant, and then something else will come <laughs> it was up. A green and, one. <laughs> but but I think so, with kids, I like to also sort of make it ridiculous, and I'm like, okay, so if that thought was in like Elmo's voice, how powerful would it be? Would it feel different? Would it hit like would it hit different? Is the way that I kind of say it for yeah, them because yeah, yeah. I oh, yeah, that's tend a, to be hip. Yeah, that's very hip. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. not. That's very teacherish. You just yeah. got very teacherish. You got you yeah. got to do that right, yeah. but. Mm -hmm. It, and it's funny how the exact same thought in a different tone or in a different voice just doesn't have the same impact. Yeah, I've watched commercials where like certain animals will be given certain voices. And I'm like, this is a ridiculous voice for this animal. They do not look like that. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> Give them a different but, voice. But like, imagine is <laughs> like, now imagine that with what if this is a, what if I'm, in, I'm starting a flare? Right. The last one was really bad. Right. I had to miss Sporting prom. School, prom. And my now, favorite hockey, my hockey game, yeah, whatever that hockey tournament, whatever, yeah. whatever it is in the moment that was really important. Um, I think that that kind of loses some of its power, right? And working more not to change the thoughts, but to change the relationship to the thoughts, um, because I think living, like, I mean, all people live in uncertainty, 
but getting diagnosed with IBD, oh it's you can't pretend. You live every day. And every uh, most meal, people every... pretend that they that they're they have control and everything's right. lovely. Like most people do and they can fool themselves really. Yeah. Uh IBD that that's a no. luxury you do not have. Like I say I'm managing. My key yeah. thing when people ask how you're doing, how I'm doing, I'm managing. Yeah. I'm not controlling it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm managing it right now. <laughs> like but sometimes like, the effort to control is actually the thing that causes the most the suffering. Worst. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Um, sometimes you have a flare because you have a relapsing and remitting disease and it, you no matter what literally you do, done you can't everything it. perfectly and still yeah. it happens, right? You've taken your medication when you were supposed to, you've eaten all the things that you think are, make you feel good. Nothing yeah, you've that been taking care you. of yourself. You've been and... taking care of, you've been proper rest. It's just the way that the cookie crumbles sometimes. Yeah. And that's hard to accept as well. It's very hard. Yeah. It's very hard. And that's where, again, that mo like when I think of acceptance, it's kind of like, okay, like. I, there's this uh, image going around on Facebook that I thought was actually quite great. Um, it was an image of a, a someone standing in the rain and they're saying, it's raining. <laughs> and then the other person's like, oh, now my hair's going to get frizzy. I'm going to get wet. My boots are going to be ruined. Like that's the difference between acceptance and kind of going down the path of sort of adding to I just want to be the, the dude who says it's raining. It's just rain. It's, like it's raining. Like, and I should say just because it's raining because it's not like rain isn't. If you're standing in the rain, yeah, you're getting wet. It's going to be uncomfortable. But just kind of be like, yep, it's raining. The ducks would be very happy about yeah. this. And, and <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or it's or or even if it's like you know it's raining, then it's like okay, how can I best care for myself as opposed to going down that hole? This is terrible because right. where's my umbrella? Let's get a poncho. Yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. doing some of that stuff. Right. And I think when you can get to a place where you're like not fighting the rain, right? It, it can help with with teens and kids. We also say like, how are you multiplying your pain? Yeah, how, how much are you making it worse? Because at the end of the day, yeah. pain is meaningful in the world of IBD. If I get a stomach ache, my first thought is like, oh, that like egg salad but, sandwich was out of the fridge too long. Right, right. Right? But if you have a stomach ache, like what are the first things that come to your mind? I wonder when my, like, how long is this going to last and am I going to end up in eMERGE? Right. Like right away. And that's reasonable. And it could just be gas. Like I just have gas, like a regular healthy human. <laughs> but like, at the end like, of the day, that's fair. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it has meaning. And that's right. that's where. And I think the more experience that I've had because I've had so many hospitalizations and yeah. such serious condition, like illness with my disease, it's very, I'm very quick to go there first. Yeah. I, I go to the worst. Yeah. But then I feel like I, 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 I slowly climb back down the staircase. Yeah. You know, but I, it's it's automatic for me to go to yeah. the worst first. And it's work to get back to uh, It's exhausting. Yeah. It is actually quite exhausting to come down that staircase. And But I yeah. would also predict that most people look at you and they'll say, like, oh, my gosh, you're so resilient. That's so great. You're so like, strong. You're so wonderful. Yeah. You're so strong. And yeah. it's like, I'm like okay, damn it, like, you don't know what's going on in my head. And, <laughs> and also, I'm like, <laughs> just acknowledge, like, it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that you're any less resilient. Right. You had mentioned so, uh, social media. You know, as a teacher, I see devices, screen time, social media is super intense. How has this, what it, you had, um, you were talking about adapting care and mm -hmm. and looking at resources online. And you, you shared some fantastic YouTube videos, which we will put on our Facebook and our Twitter account. I okay. love them. Just mm -hmm. like short little videos, yeah. just, but what you've spoken about, right? Like yeah. mindfulness and acknowledging thoughts. I, I thought to myself, it's something I'm probably going to show my students next week. Like oh, as, a, as a minds-on exercise oh, at the beginning of my science lesson. Yeah. 
come like, hey guys, let's, or we have, we, my students have tests coming up. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a quick four, three, four minute video that I can yeah. put on at the beginning of the test to just be like, look guys, yeah. and the, the graphics are so cute. The wave in the bedroom. I was like, this is exactly. Oh, is that the you are not your thoughts yeah, video? You yeah, you are not your thoughts. Absolutely. So what do you think about resources online? Because yeah. it's this, online's a scary place. It's scarier for grownups than it is for young people. Because remember, like, and you know what, like, Full disclosure, I still remember getting the first computer at our house with the black and yellow screen. <laughs> I'm that old. I remember calling my friend and saying, oh my gosh, guys, let's go like literally calling them on the phone to tell them to go log into an AOL discussion board and we would hang up, dial up, and I was then we both say, go on there and talk I to each other. I remember my mom's yelling at my brother and I to get off the computer because she needed to call my grandmother. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is not, and this is not where like most kids and teenagers, they, they just have MSN Messenger. Yeah, they don't like, oh, yeah, no, ICQ. Like it was just not, none of that anymore, right? So I think they've grown up in this space. Yes. They're born with iPhones, I say. They come yeah. out with iPads in their hands. Like it's exactly. shocking. Yeah. So I think that we would be remiss not to meet them where they're at. That's right. And I think what's really important is recognizing that when it comes to living with IBD, it's a bit of a choose your own adventure. What works with one person is not going to work with another, right? right. So, um, and also coming down, so because I'm I'm at sick kids. Yeah. Coming down to sick physically kids to see physically you, yeah. to see me is just not realistic for, for a lot of people. So well, I think you, you've you got, it's not, it's like a child and a, and the parent has to take time off work and yeah. then there's the traveling and it, there's a lot associated. And sick kids is just in a really inconvenient location in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's hardcore right? in the center of downtown. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Unless you live like, like downtown, um, it's, it's tricky to get to. Yeah. So to me, it was more about, okay, also if someone is in an active flare, you don't want to be commuting any long distances anywhere. Well, yeah, there's definitely no washrooms on um, the DVP. Yeah. <laughs> or the gardener. Right. Um, I've experienced that before. There's, in most places, there's actually nowhere even to pull over. So, mm. <laughs> like, so this no, is why, this is yeah. why again, like, <laughs> like I've, a lot of my work and my research, I've just listened to the kids. I, They'll right. tell you. You just have to have the wisdom to listen. So, so if they're going to be online with devices. We might as well put something there that's going to help them. Yeah. So that's why a lot of my um, group work has gone online. You can use various different platforms and it's depending on your age, whether it's Hollywood Squares or Brady Bunch, like they can see everybody. Right. Right. So even as like a, a place for socialization. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I've, you know, I've, I even when my own, I've diagnosed now 13 and a half years ago, I guess mm -hmm. it is now, maybe 13 years. Um, and my first four years I lived in the dark yeah. partly because of my ignorance mm -hmm. I I didn't know my the doctor who had diagnosed me um wrote it on a piece of paper and said this is what you have my original diagnosis was ulcerative colitis and I remember trying to figure out how to like how do I pronounce this word it right me on several different levels yeah, but so, I think it happens and then I went home, and then I actually I, I actually said like what is this and he actually did tell me to google it um, which was the worst thing for me to do. Yeah. And then I, you know, I start Googling that I, I didn't even get past like the search page. I, I read what I needed to read and then that was it. I, I shut it off. Yeah. You're like, like and none of this anymore. Yeah. I'm going to take these pills. And when I go back to see them in four months, I'm going to be fine. Like I did not know this was long-term. So I had yep. my, my own ignorance. And for me, it was more comfortable for me when I did come out of that dark place, it was more, it was more comfortable for me to be anonymous and just yeah. to be a name online in a chat room or on a Facebook group. Um, I'm obviously much different now. Now I'm, you start shouting yeah. it from the rooftops, yeah. but I, 
I, kids are growing up in a world where the face-to-face interaction is lacking, really. Like, yeah. kids are not playing outside and going inside when the streetlights come on anymore. They're socializing with each other through social media. They're also not introducing t- themselves to each other in the waiting room. Nope. Not at all. Not at all. And I think that's just it. As you as you were talking about that piece about being anonymous on the, yeah. the discussion boards, I'm like, I think there's room for that person. And that's what I mean by choose your own adventure. Some people want to shout off the rooftops. Fantastic. Yeah. Some people want to be anonymous on discussion boards to get their mm-hmm. information that way. That way. Fantastic. Some people want to watch YouTube. Like, so for what's been really successful for me, for some folks, I can think of an example where there was a teen who had to learn how to put in an NG. Right. Right. And oh, the yes, nurses were doing, yeah, yeah, the nurses were doing a fantastic job of teaching her, but I could just see how nervous she was. Then Anxiety. she watched was... uh, fair, like yeah, they're totally <laughs> kind of in that, like, WTF, what's going on right now? Yeah. I have Hashtag, what? this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like, just diagnosed. And now you're asking me, like, I was, quote unquote, healthy, like, a week ago. And now you're asking me to put something in my nose and I can't eat for six to eight weeks? Like, what's... Oh my like, goodness, what is this? doing it themselves too. Right? Because oh, oftentimes God. there are quite a few teens who don't want to leave the NG in when they go to school. Right? And what she found was a YouTube video of a teenager just putting the NG in and out several times and talking about how it's not a big deal. And that made all the difference in the world to her. All the difference in the world. I've heard very similar stories from teens where they are able to see other teens doing some of their ostomy care. Right. Right. Um, Does that mean, does that mean all YouTube videos are fantastic? No. 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 However, does that mean they're all terrible and we should like trash them all? No, some are actually quite helpful. Well, it's a natural human trait to want to see yourself represented Mm -hmm. across many platforms, regardless, you know, whether it be, um, you know, a cultural background or a religious background or, or race or ethnicity or, so why wouldn't it be comforting to see Absolutely. someone your age with your condition yeah. doing something that you are going to have to do? Yep. There's a comfort in, I can't, if I had to put in my own NG tube, I've had an NG tube before, but I've never done it on my own. Oh my goodness, brave souls. I'd be doing for <laughs> those of you who do that on a regular basis. Yep. Um, but I could totally see how that would make me feel more comfortable yeah. Like watching somebody do this and then being okay at the end, even though I know I'm still going to be okay at the end, but seeing it. And that's something that like I can't offer them, like our team at SickKids and nurses can't offer. No, we hope that you are not modeling for them. Well, no, but even (laughs) even if we could, it's not the same. No, it's not. Because you're not not. a team. You're not them. And I, yeah, Yeah. we're not team. We're not them. We don't have IBD. Like we, I think being with people who get it is so important. I think as humans, just backing it up, as humans, we want to be seen We want to be heard and we want to be loved. Right. Right? And I think that there's just no other way about getting around when you see someone who has similar experiences to you and can look you in the face and be like, I get it. Yeah. And you're going to talk about how terrible this is and the response is going to be, Totally. (laughs) Exactly. Like end stop. No. But what if you or at least just no, it's. Hard. Yeah, I've been places, and you know, I've said before, my family and friends, I have wonderful people in my corner. I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful. Like, I would not be where I am today if it weren't for the people in my corner backing me up. You know, my husband, my parents, my friends, Mm -hmm. even some of my work colleagues. But when I go to an IBD event and I meet somebody who has IBD, I don't even have to know their name. Like, as soon as they put, they introduce, hi, my name is blah, 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 and I have Crohn's disease, or I have ulcerative colitis, and I'm just like, we are friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Y'all are my people. Yes. Y'all are my people. Talk to me. Yes. I will have conversations with them about bloody diarrhea and about, you know, even constipation or like eating and ulcers and what it felt like to have a colonoscopy and waiting in the room afterwards. I will have open conversations about the most private of things that... Like that, I don't, and then I'll end with, what's your name again? Like it always yeah. ends with, like, like, oh. now that we've just had this full conversation yeah. about bowel, yeah. uh, what did you say your name was? Yeah. Like, and it's like this deep, meaningful connection. Yeah, and it's, yeah. and no disrespect to my family and friends, but it's a connection that you cannot find anywhere yeah. else, you know? And it's, Absolutely, and I think this is where, um, so yeah, so taking it back even when you think about uh, adolescence and teens, um, really, the job of a teenager developmentally is to do whatever they can to get away from their parents, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's where they figure out who they are. That's how they develop independence and autonomy and things. Yeah, rage against the parents. Right? Like, and yeah. and mm-hmm. you're kind of supposed to do that, and that's yeah, normative. Absolutely. But I'm in my 30s, and I will tell you that if I'm not feeling well, I call my mom. Oh, my goodness. I've called my – I'm in my 30s, too, and I've called my mom so many times from, like, the toilet. Yeah. Or, like, the bed. Right. Like, which is such a terrible thing because because my mom is far. She's in Newfoundland. Yeah. It's another – you know, so I call I, – I, as an adult, I'm getting a little bit better with it. Not completely, though. But it's – because she's so heartbroken that she's yeah. so far away and she yeah. can't help me, you know. So I've told her she's also not allowed to share those emotions with me. When I call you and I tell you I'm sick and I'm not feeling well, you're not allowed to also get upset because yep. you can't help me. Like, right? you have to do something else, mom. Like, yeah, you have, you have to listen. And it's funny that you bring that up because I was going to say, like, so imagine I, two things are coming up that I want to remember to say. And one being that imagine being in this space where all you want to do is get away from your parents and then IBD is doing whatever it can to bring you back. Right. And I think, especially too, with IBD, there's the there's the chance that you're going to miss out on on certain events. Totally. And that becomes social currency in high school, which is a lot of anxiety. What do you do if you if you can't actually? Everyone's talking about that party. whatever party from last weekend, and the you weren't there. After school yeah, like you, you weren't there. Yeah. Right. So I think that's, that's going to be isolating. It's isolating, and isola- isolation is a huge risk for anxiety, depression um, in adulthood. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that's where remembering where teens are at and why that social connection and that meaningful social connection is so vital. Right. Um, it's uh, Yes, it is about just human nature and the need for social connection, but it's also developmentally, like, wildly important. Yeah, we can't deprive. And that's where, like, so – because sometimes people think about – Like, I get energized mm-hmm. when I go – like – I have a lot, I'm, I'm, despite the fact being that today I'm struggling, I'm in a lot of pain. Last night, uh, my husband and I went to support a friend at his show. He's in a band. Mm. The night before, we were at a concert at Scotiabank mm. Arena. You know, it's, it's been very, it's probably why I'm not feeling well today because it's just the sleep, the You've lack been running of sleep around a little bit? Yeah. The last two days, but it's so energizing, right? To be in social situations, yeah. for, for me, anyways. Yeah. You know, and kids thrive on that. Yeah, they, they need a certain amount of it. Even if you're an introvert, you need a certain amount of that Absolutely. to be able to get through those steps. And um, Even if it's just being with a friend, one friend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's about connecting with people in that meaningful way. Um, one thing I do want to say before I forget, because this is a little bit of a, a secret from a health psychologist who works with teenagers. Ooh, secrets. For, par- yeah. <laughs> for, for parents. Tell um, us all. Yes. Like, <laughs> uh, teens actually do want to talk to you, and they do want to share. Right. The problem is, is how do that, you get them? Uh, no, it's not even that. It's that the reason they don't is because parents try to fix things, and what they want you to do is they want you listen. to listen, listen, and be with them. 
I often think of it as I'm a visual person, so I give lots of visual examples. I'm like, if you're a child and you're trying to learn how to swim and you're in the water, you don't want the parents on the dock barking (laughs) instructions on how to swim at you. Right. What you want is you want the parent to jump in the water with them and sit in the water with them and right. hold their hand and be with them as they learn to swim. Right. And that is very difficult. It's a very difficult ask of parents because sometimes the solution is really obvious. But I feel and like really that, easy, quote but unquote. But that needs to be taught. If I was a parent, I feel like I would need to be taught how to do that. Because is yeah. it not an, an, an nat- like our nature? It's not. It, yeah. Right? Like, because everything in you, every parenting instinct says, fix this, that, solve absolutely. this, help them. Yeah. But in certain situations, you can't do, you really just need to be with them. Yeah. And we let don't them think, know. let's ride out this wave. Like, yeah. yeah. Because it's okay if you can't fix everything. Right. It's not your responsibility. I think effort and intention are enough. You know what? I, I can relate to that on a personal level. Like, I find it sometimes quite exhausting if somebody asks me how I'm doing and I'm going to be honest. Because most of the time I use the, the fine. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, things are fine. Oh, the regular, like, oh, I'm managing. I'm and the person who always, whenever someone says that to me in the office, they're like, oh, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> and, and that's fine. Yeah, that's but I, okay. I often find it exhausting if, like, there are certain people in my life who I say these things to, and I know their response is naturally going to be a list of things that they've read or that they've heard or that their suggestions on what I could, like, try to make it better. And then I have people in my life who I can... I can just, I don't want to say unload because that's mm-hmm. not what I'm doing, but that who will just listen to what I'm saying. They'll just hold that space yeah. and be like, yeah. And like at the at the end, it's like, shit, dude, that sucks. Yeah. And like that whole like shit, dude, that sucks is possibly the best thing you could say to me in that mm-hmm. moment. As opposed to, I'm terribly sorry. Why don't you try this? Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, you have nothing to be sorry about because you did not do this to me. So yeah. I'd rather you just tell me that this totally sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Like, yeah. You're going through that right now? Yeah. Like, you know? And I could see how kids need that. Yeah. Totally. More so than adults, really. Yeah. And and that's where, like, I think I've, that's why I enjoy teens and I, I kind of enjoy working with them because you're in this space where they are just discovering. Right. And they're figuring stuff out and they don't have to get it right. And they have, they're in this space where I think people have to learn how to fail. So, I've discovered as a teacher, there is this, and I know you've mentioned it, there is this like insane push amongst young people f- to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, well, thank you, Instagram. Yeah, well, you. yeah, you know what I mean? Like, they, but to just this perfectionism of needing to be good at everything they do. And sometimes the pressure does come from home, like, especially when I look at it from a Mark's perspective. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's expectations that are at home that are, you know, saying, like, well, you should be receiving these marks in order to, you know, for what get into high school, my grade yeah. eights are struggling to. But what what do we do with this perfectionism, and how does that look like in health and mental health and IBD yeah. and kids? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So perfectionism is something that again, like I've just clinically sort of been seeing a lot of, right, right. and a lot more of over the years. And to the, to my point earlier, where I have this unicorn job, where I can have these kids tell me how stressed they are because they're trying to. Like they're striving for all these things, but they can't do it because 
they have a flare and then they get set or back, right? So I actually, we did a, a small study where we looked and we looked at the rates of perfectionism and in IBD, in IBD children? and kids like, with IBD. Right. And what we found in our, in and this is kids coming for routine follow-ups, um, not necessarily kids who are referred to mental health by, right, right. by any okay. means. Um, and two-thirds of them had elevated rates of perfectionism compared two to- Two-thirds? Yeah. And that's compared to teens who are otherwise healthy. So their rates are, are widely high. But part of me is like, okay, they have this, they're living we, with- and uncertainty. Uncertain. They're living with uncertainty. They're yeah. living with these potentially really socially embarrassing symptoms. And they're still living in that world, that Instagram world, with filters over everything. They should and everybody's, look like this. Oh, my goodness. The filters. They shouldn't be allowed. So I think there's just this awful, perfect storm of things going on. But then what I find for me what is really difficult with perfectionism is perfectionists are rigid. And what I mean by that is it's this all or nothing. Right. Right. And that can be really challenging because with IBD, you're living in gray. So if everything's black or white, but you're living in gray, like how do you actually navigate all of that? Yeah, that's a that's a that's an intense internal struggle. And that, that must be. And, and that's where just there's just so much added. So stress. so two thirds. So is this perfectionism? Are you seeing it? Does it associate like are these children just associating it to IBD or is, is that perfectionism tr- like unfolding into all aspects of well, their it's, lives. Well, it's more like trait perfectionism. So just sort of like how they view things and or wow. with regards to themselves, right? So again, to your point earlier, we are awful to ourselves. Yeah. So a lot of these teens are really terrible to themselves, which again is that why- creates so yeah. much stress. Yes. it's a, and, oh and you know my. what? And whether this stress is heartbreaking. Well, and, so, <laughs> and, and part of it is is whether stress triggers IBD or not for some because for some people stress is a massive trigger. Yeah, it's for totally their mine. Yeah, hundred um, yeah. percent. But I've also mm-hmm. met people like who it doesn't touch their IBD at all. That's right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But even even for those, stress is just going to make the experience of any, anything worse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just going to. Yeah. It it highlights and bolds. And puts exclamation marks and stars all yeah. around everything. That, and, yeah. and that's why a lot of my efforts um, on the research end of things have been around, okay, helping provide more meaningful social supports to these young people. Right. Um, so they can navigate this world. Because it's developmentally what they need. I think it's what they need as human beings. I don't think it's this fluffy thing. I think it's that being able to meet someone who's older, who's made it, like that gives them right proof. Yeah, yeah. That you can do all the a things. A role model, right? someone to yeah. like... Because it's very hard for, it's very hard for an adult, even myself, to look ahead mm-hmm. without having something tangible to hold on to, like someone, like, oh, look, they have made it, or like they, yeah. you know, so as a child, it must be great to see, hey, you know, if you're a young child, you see a teenager who's doing okay. Yeah. If you're a teenager, seeing a young adult who's doing okay. Or a teacher who's doing okay or living with doing, IBD. Yes, I share my IBD life quite often. My very, Usually my first lesson in science, actually it's usually the second first lesson is, hey, welcome back from the summer. I'm Miss Swift. Yeah. Get to know each other. My second lesson is usually like, I put up a picture of a colon, like this is science class. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about this disease I have. And they're all like, are you contagious? <laughs> yeah. You know, does this does this mean you go to the bathroom a lot? And I'm like, yes, sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. right? Like sometimes. You're the, like, actually, yes. Yeah, sometimes the teacher next door might have to come in because I got to go to the bathroom around the hall. Yeah. <laughs> but I do, We yes, it is important to see that. And for me, it's comforting as well mm-hmm. um, when I meet others like Right? That. Because then that's yeah. that part of it. And even bringing it back to the perfectionism, it's sort of seeing, okay, this is how that person did it. And like, 
they are not perfect or right. they're not weird or they are weird, but it's okay that they're weird. Right. Totally. Right. Own so it. th- yeah. it's just this, this really powerful thing to do. And then also why I've ended up going down the route of um, mindfulness and meditation, because when it comes to stress and all the additional stress that perfectionism can really put on an individual, I find bang for your buck, getting more self-aware, um, yeah. whether that's through sort of dedicated formal meditation or more integrating mindfulness into your everyday life, right. I think is the way to go. And there's a lot of mindfulness apps as an adult. Are there ones geared towards kids or are these yeah. apps also good for kids? No, like- that, you know what? They have a lot of, they have a lot of different apps for kids. I have a really hard time keeping up with them. Well, so it's okay. hard for me to like uh, so recommend certain ones. Them, there, there's fantastic. tons, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and oftentimes it's not even a matter of like, oh, this app is better than this app. It's I like this person's voice or this person has a great accent or they have what I'm looking for, right? Right. Um, And the thing with mindfulness um, that I do want to bring up is that I feel like there's a bit some misconceptions about what it is, right? People are kind of like, oh, I have to sit on a cushion and pay attention to my breath and and focus (laughs) really intently and that's what I have to do. But I think um, I 100% agree that that's what people think that is. Like, right? Absolutely, that's what people think that. And, yeah. and this is yeah. where I think, like, the two things that end up miss, wearing miss flowing out on. pants and tie dye. Like, I know, right? <laughs> like, we're all just going to get zenned out. And I think <laughs> incense, like, right? <laughs> like, and meditating, you know what? You might get super zen and you might get super calm. That's great, but it's not always the case. And right. that's not always how it is. Um, because meditating and sitting on a cushion can be really hard work as well. Your um, spine couldn't because, even handle it physically. Right? And, that, and again, that's a great example of why, yes, sure, it could be sitting on a cushion and paying attention to your breath. But it could also be so much more. It can be about this open awareness of what's going on every day. Right. So my, a great example is just eating. I mean, most of us eat every day. Mm-hmm. And you can level up your eating Mm-hmm. And turn it into an experience. Like, an experience. Yeah. But also like it ends up being like you can call it mental training. You can call right. it brain training. You can call it like whatever you want. But and it doesn't have to be, okay, I have to sit here and pay attention to every single bite for 10 minutes. It can be the first bite of every meal. It can be the first two minutes. Like I often at work will set a timer, depending on how much time I have, for three or five minutes and really eat mindfully for that time. And then when the timer goes off, I have total just, permission to just shovel it in my mouth. Right. I, it's funny because I have this conversation with my husband all the time. When we yeah. have dinner dates, they last approximately 45 minutes. Okay. Um, depending on how long it takes the food to come out of the kitchen. Yeah. Because he likes to shovel. Mm-hmm. And like when he's done, I'm like, did you taste it? Mm-hmm. Like, do you know anything you just say? <laughs> and I'm always just like, can we just enjoy the day? Can we not eat slower? Yeah. Chew your food a hundred times but, before you swallow and, and, and sometimes in that example, it's like even thinking about what had to happen for that food to get there? Yeah. Like someone, like, someone like look how pretty it, it looks on the plate. Like there's stuff, there's stuff like you can. Someone cooked it for you. Yeah. And if you want to go even deeper, you can be like, oh, like the sun and the rain and all those crazy things had to grow the fruit that had to go into this dessert. Around food, I've never, I've never had that approach before. I've, I, I, a lot of the mindfulness I've started with has been the, the lying in bed, yeah. thinking about the sensations from your feet to your yeah. legs. And like up, relaxing. But, yeah. And I've had a hard time with that. I, I don't, I'm not a good relaxer. I'm one of those people who feels like I have to be doing something. And if I'm relaxing, I feel guilty. But here's you know? the thing. Here's another. I'm, you're getting all my like thing. My I'm gonna try not to go on some like no, soapbox. No. But I think that's just it. Stress reduction for some people is sitting, breathing, relaxing, bubble baths, whatever. But for other people, it's active. Right. 
right? Go, go, go. And that's where even when people talk about um, things like kindness and compassion, they always think about, again, like bubble baths and things like this. But really, compassion could also be fierce. And it can be, what do I have to do to care for myself in this moment? What boundaries do I need in my life? Right. And how do I hold those, right? Yeah, like sometimes I just want to go to the gym and get on the elliptical and just go hard. Right. Like, And that that (laughs) moment is how best to care for yourself. Do it. And that's great. Yeah. That's amazing. So um, growing up with IBD, you had mentioned there's a, is there peer programs that? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I mean, this one I, I say with a bit of an asterisk because it is in a research study right now. So it's not open to everybody. Okay. But my hope is that. From by, this research study. Yeah. Yes. It can be rolled out because I do think also people are, are sometimes weary around, oh, like, how do these peer support programs work? Are they safe? Are they effective? What do they do? And I think right. sometimes peer support and social support feel kind of fluffy to people. Right? Agreed. Yes. Um, you, and they sorry, d- the listeners couldn't just see my face. So my yeah. face is very like, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but hopefully kind of I've made my, my case just in terms of not just the way our brains are wired, but also developmentally for these teens who are about to go through, not just developmentally and what they're going through. Um, naturally as a teenager. Natural, but also yeah. like, they're about to have some big changes. They're going to graduate from school. They're going to have to go to adult care. They're going to, like, there's just, their lives are about to change. They might move out on their own. Getting new doctors. All those kinds of things, right? Yeah. So um, Relationships. What we, exactly. Yeah. And and how do you talk about that? So one uh, of the programs that we're doing in, right now, it's in trial, is the iPeer-to-Peer program. Okay. Full disclosure, I was told after the fact that I should not call it peer support because apparently oh. people don't like the young people don't like that. But I'm like, well, what it's is too it late now. What do young people call it now? I know they just said don't call it peer support. That sounds lame. And I'm like, well, it does. It's too sound, late it, now. It does sound adultish. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel like if you just left, you put put a bunch of teenagers in the room and they'll come up with something. Yeah. So that, like, but so for now, it's still the I peer to peer program. But what we do is we have some of our just absolute rock star previous patients. Right who are 18 to 25, and we train them over two days. And then they get to meet with teens online in a video call like scenario, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. one-to-one. Right. So they get matched to a mentor. Oh, okay. And we do match them according to sort of disease characteristics and if we are able to interests as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And then they, and we don't give them a program. We don't, we don't just do any of that. We trust their wisdom. Right. Talk about whatever makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. And... I think that is really so. This powerful. is a study. This is what you're doing. This is a study right now. It's a study right so now. So depending on its success rate, I'm assuming in funding, it's always funding yeah, as well. well. Funding is always a, a yeah. piece. But one of the things with this that I think um, people might underestimate is that really, what is the heart and soul of this? It's the choosing the mentors and training them. Yeah, that's where I think some of this online choose your own adventure might come in. Where for some people, one call might be enough. Right. For or other one, people, it might be 10. Yeah, or one call could be and sporadically depending on where they are in their disease yeah. at that moment. Or yeah. this training could be used and then perhaps you can incorporate um, young adults in more like education sessions or right. kind of support groups and things like that where there is that person who gets it, that person with the same experience. I like and, the online component as well because it also opens up 
it doesn't have to be like a child and like a fellow youth in your neighborhood or, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think about even the PACE program of reaching out to people in rural communities that don't have access, you know, and there's probably no, but maybe there's a child who no one else in their school has this disease because they live in small town and how this could open up doors for them that wouldn't normally be open for them. And getting that like meaningful, like Mm -hmm. the connection to like, and the familiarity. They're, they're that person who will look at you and be like, Oh, that sucks. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> Shit, dude, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and and I think that's where um, they're comfortable online. They're happy in that space. And I do think it can be really powerful because this is a service that we, the healthcare teams can't provide. I really hope that this works because I yeah. know that uh, at Crohn's and Clays Canada, they have the online peer-to-peer support yeah. um, for adults, yeah. but there's nothing for children, for kids, for youth right now. And Absolutely. we 100% need to start pushing in that area, even yeah. getting, like you had mentioned, get some of these resources online that are geared towards children, trusted, developed yes. properly resources Absolutely. for kids Absolutely. and children, because it is on the rise yeah. in children. Um, and we, uh, mental health issues on, are on the rise in general, realistically. Yeah. Uh, and the connection between the two, I think the work that you're doing is so noble. We love you. Thank you. You're our honorary IBD warrior. <laughs> and it's, I, I feel like it's not me. It's just, I'm, I was smart enough to listen. Yeah, that's true. Actually, Dr. Silverberg said something about the new clinic he's opening up. And he said, you know, I did this because I listened to all the things that my patients used to tell me all the time yeah. about what's going on. And they'll tell you. Yeah. And, he, and I thought, well, you know, trust them. They're the experts. If this yeah. is what they're saying they need, then probably we should provide it for them. Absolutely. So you're doing some, you had helped out with the teen site about kids' health. Yeah, yes. so there's there's a bunch of resources now. I will like full disclosure, none of that that stuff isn't sort of IBD specific. General, it's, general. it's pretty general, right. but it's it is um, looking at living with chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. There's a I section mean, specifically. I, yeah, I do. I do think that my years with IBD kind of leak a little into them, <laughs> but uh, I do. I did. My aim was to try to make them. No, I've used this general. website, like even when I'm in health class, like about yep. kids' health is like a standard website. It's a that, fantastic. Yeah, website. it's fantastic. Yeah, and they have a, a, a the the site really is geared towards uh, adults and parents, but there's also a teen version where it's teens.aboutkidshealth.ca, and that's where they teens. can dot about kids health yeah. okay. and that's where the information is actually written and geared towards teens. Right, that's the website I was looking at, and I did notice mm-hmm. there was a section that said um, chronic. Yeah, there was the chronic illness yeah. section there. And you know what? We even put a section on like wellness and taking yep. care of yourself that, yeah. and yeah. like just sleeping and eating and doing all those things that yeah. everybody so should be doing. To our listeners, whether you are an, an adult IBD warrior, you know, we do have a lot of parents with children uh, mm-hmm. with IBD who are listening. And this is actually one of the reasons why I was so excited that you were coming. Just the mm-hmm. feedback we get from our listeners about, I have a child, I have a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I do? What are they thinking? How do mm-hmm. I approach this situation? Um, that website's really great. This episode, share this episode, mm-hmm. you know, let your kids listen to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, You're not alone, guys. And yes, I know I'm old. I'm 33 and I'm not the same age as you going through this. And I was diagnosed when I was 20, but... um, You you weren't old when you were diagnosed. No, I wasn't old. I I wasn't old, no. I was in university. I was still a student, if that helps you. But um, this journey has its ups and downs. um, And I think it's important that we acknowledge that there needs to be a holistic approach to IBD and having mm-hmm. someone like yourself, a psychiatrist, talking to students, psychologist, to psychologist, health psychologist, health, that. health psychologist, talking to parents, 
talking to children, talking to youth, working through your troubles and your problems, talking to other people like you, Mm -hmm. seeing yourself represented is such a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've met parents with children with IBD and they have this like isolation effect. They think, um, I don't want to introduce them to any other children like this because like what happens if that child gets really sick and then they have to see that. And I've always, I'm not going to give you advice on how to raise your child, but Mm -hmm. I've always just shared my personal experience that I became, I started to feel my relief and my acceptance when I met others like me. Yeah. Even when they were struggling. Yep. There was a power and a strength behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and our little people need to be protected and taken care of. And, you know, it's, it's a sensitive topic in my heart because mm-hmm. our little people right now in, in our province and in our, in our education world are not being taken care of and they no. don't have a voice. No. Um, so I do not want our young IBD warriors uh, to be left out and to feel that they are lost. And um, it's very important that we look at our health holistically. Absolutely. And we have professionals, especially considering you focus on IBD. There's a, that's a big difference. Yeah. There is a, you know, I've even had people tell me, doctors tell me there's a difference between a gastroenterologist and a gastroenterologist who specializes in IBD. Yeah. So as a parent, um, speak up for your child, Mm -hmm. ask questions, get them the help they need, listen. You cannot fix them. So just listen. And that's, and the thing is, is that's enough. Yeah. You're doing a great job. It's, it's enough. Oh my goodness. IBD parents, you are doing a kick-ass job. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like my heart, my mind, everything is with you. I can't even imagine Mm -hmm. what it must be like to raise a child who is ill. Mm -hmm. Um, but you've got this. Yeah. And so does your kid. Mm -hmm. Your kids got it too. Absolutely. Maybe not naturally, but they got it. Awesome. Thank you so much for being Thank here. You. you were like a breath of fresh air. You're one of those, you're going in my box of like awesome humans. You, Dr. Tripp, or just maybe yeah. one, maybe one day we'll just get all of you around the table together. And I would love to. And we'll all just zen out and feel yeah. amazing. I'm, I would be happy. Yes. I'll never t- I'll never say no to an opportunity to practice in a group. Absolutely. Is there anything you wanted to say to our listeners before you go? Anything you think is important that you want to share? I don't know that I, I think we might have covered this everything. was a fantastic. I feel like we talked about so many different things. Yeah, this was such a fantastic episode. I'm so excited. It's one of those ones that like on your on your device it just needs to be on repeat, you know? Like listen to it again. Listen to when you need a reminder, listen to it again. Yeah. <laughs> but awesome. thank you for being here with us Absolutely. today. We appreciate you. Uh, all of those of you who are listening, don't forget to follow us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. So um, we're always at G-T-S-N-G-L-R-Y. Couple of vowels missing and a D, but that's okay. Um, Guts and Glory, look for our logo. Um, we will post the links that we've talked about, actually. We'll be yep. posting on our social media through Twitter and Facebook. Um, to all of our listeners, IBD Warriors and our sidekicks, strength and positive thoughts. Thanks for listening to Guts and Glory. This podcast is produced by Bang Albino, Inc.